0: In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Through the Bible with Les Feldenk, an inspirational and informative half hour of insight into the heart of scripture. In addition to teaching the Bible, Les is a full-time rancher, having a down-to-earth practical teaching style that makes the Bible come to life. All programs are available on audio tape, videotape, and in printed form. At the end of the program, there will be an address where you can contact the ministry. And now, here's Les Feldick with today's lesson.
1: So now as we come on down in chapter 12 again, for verse 8. Now God gives him the reason for keeping the man humbled and evidently putting him through all the trials and sufferings. And verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice or three times, that it, that is, this thorn in the flesh, this constant buffeting by an angel of Satan, that it might Depart from me, and he, verse 9, the Lord Jesus himself said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect, or complete, in what? Weakness. And so, again, I have to take us back to First Corinthians, because this is the whole concept, I think, of Christian service. And... Uh, you know, I don't mind a bit when once in a while someone will say to me or someone will write, well, bless the, the Lord is blessing your ministry, don't get the big hit. Because that's always a danger. And, and don't think we don't know that. And uh, so, like I say, I don't mind one bit if people remind me because the minute we think we can do it ourselves, we're all done. Uh, it has to be done as a weak vessel that God has seen fit to use. You got 1 Corinthians and come down to verse 26 of chapter 1. Sorry, honey. You know, she likes me to give those references a little earlier than that. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Where he writes For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not Many mighty, not many noble, are called. Now, that says it all, doesn't it? In other words, God doesn't go into the kings and queens of the world. God doesn't usually go into the ivy-covered halls of universities for his servants. Never has. All you have to do is go back into the Old Testament economy. My, don't think for a minute that there weren't more highly polished men to be used than Amos and Gideon and Ezekiel and some of these people they were just common ordinary members of the Jewish nation but that's what God saw fit to use and so Paul is really an exception because Paul of course was highly educated and no doubt had a lot of polish because he he certainly moved in in the upper echelons of Judaism but this is why he constantly puts himself down as nothing because he realizes that God cannot use somebody unless they're nothing. You know, the prime example in Scripture is Moses. Remember when we were back there in Exodus and Moses, at the end of his first 40 years, having lived in Pharaoh's palace and was the second top man in Egypt, what did Moses think he could do? Well, he thought he could take the children of Israel out of slavery because of his own power and pomp and circumstance and wisdom and leadership. And so he went out to the children of Israel and as the book of Acts says, for he supposed that they would have understood that he was going to deliver them. But you see, he was leaving God out of the picture and he was using his own position. And what did God have to do with Moses? Took him out on the backside of the desert And above all the things that the man could have done to make a living, what has God put him in? A sheep herd. Which in the eyes of an Egyptian, remember when we were back there in Genesis? In the eyes of an Egyptian, a sheep herder was a what? An abomination. That's what Moses had to become. For 40 years, living with those smelly sheep, with almost no contact with any number of humans, and he had become a nothing. And when God finally approached him there at the burning bush, what was Moses' first excuse? Hey, I can't talk. Well, why not? For 40 years of practically being silent, he'd almost forgotten how. But see, that's where God had to take even Moses before he could use him. Now, the same way the Apostle Paul, like I said, highly educated, was under the feet of Gamaliel, the chief rabbi of that day, and of a wealthy Jewish family. But what did he have to do? Had to take him down to a nobody. Now look as he reads on in First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. Instead of choosing noblemen, instead of choosing the highly educated, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound what people, the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world, the things that we would normally say don't count, he has taken the weak things of the world to confound things which are mighty, the base things of the world and things which are despised, that's what God has chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to nothing things that are now i'm the first to admit that i'm a nothing i remember a long time ago a lady called and she had just heard our program the first time and this humbles you don't think for a minute it does She so said who in the world are you anyway well i'm a nobody and i still claim that i'm just a nobody But that's why I feel God has seen fit to use this. is because he does not use that which the world thinks is proper and has been rightly fitted for service. All right, now then, verse 29. Here we come back to the same concept of why he was given the thorn in the flesh. Verse 29, that no flesh should what? glory or boast or brag or get puffed up in his presence. God won't have it. And so he says, verse 30, But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Those are all things that God accomplished, and no man can take credit for it. All right, now then, if you'll come back to Second Corinthians chapter 12. So rather in his weaknesses, under the effect of this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, under the effect of this constant being misused, beatings, shipwreck, imprisoned, cold, miserable, hot, thirsty, you name it, the man went through it all only for the sake of taking the gospel to a lost world. That's all he could think about. All right, coming back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And so verse 9, reading on, Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, I would rather glory in my infirmities, see, his weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you see what he's saying? He wasn't wishing for power and circumstance and political clout. He cared for none of that. But as long as he could be a nobody, who could use him? God could. And that's what had to... You know, the more I've been studying with regard to these two letters to the Corinthians the last few months, and I hope I'm bringing it home to to all of you here in the studio as well as to our television audience, the insurmountable odds that this man was facing when he went into absolute strange territory of pagan Gentiles who knew nothing of the God of this Bible. Oh, the little Jewish communities in these cities did. But see, the Jews never evangelized. The Jews never took their knowledge out to the pagan Gentiles. And so when Paul comes into these very cities, like we talked about up here in Galatia, of Antioch and Derby and Lystra, and then later on into Ephesus, and Philippi, and Thessalonica, and and, and uh, Berea, and Athens, and Corinth. Every one of those places were abject pagan idolaters who knew nothing of the God of creation. Nothing. And they weren't even very good people. They were rotten morally. My, I was reading again last night. I, I just shared one little thought with Iris, and I won't even put it on the air, You have no idea how morally corrupt most of the cities in the Roman Empire were. It's unbelievable. And yet into that kind of an environment, this man walked with no pleasant appearance, with nothing physically going for him, and all he did was preach Christ crucified, and those people turned from their idols and became believers so staunch in their faith that they were willing to be martyred by the hundreds. And they never wavered, as Paul has shown over and over in his writings, that in spite of everything that those early believers went through, hey, they didn't give up. They didn't panic. They didn't run. How in the world did it happen? Well, it was the power of God when the gospel was preached. And I think it's the same way today. Oh, I know we're living in times when it seems as our moral fabric is, is just rotting away. But when I read how things were in the Roman Empire, hey, we're not that bad yet. There, there's still hope. And at least most of our American people have a concept of God. In fact, I, I read one of the polls again the other day that two-thirds... Now, this is kind of shocking. Two-thirds of the American people... Are sure that one day they're going to stand before God. Hard to believe, isn't it? I don't know where he pulled them, but evidently uh, it's got some validity to it. But Paul didn't have that kind of an advantage. He didn't approach people who knew there was a God, he didn't approach people who had any concept of biblical morality. They were abject, immoral. I mean, blatantly immoral pagans. And all he did was preach the gospel, and they came out of You know, I was just sharing with somebody on the phone, I think this morning, before we came up here to Tulsa, that in all my years of teaching, and I didn't realize it until a gentleman in one of my other classes here in, in Oklahoma, been in my class now for, I guess, about 15 years, and uh, I'm sure he came out of a, a pretty fast lane lifestyle. But well, one time he said, "Les, he said, do you realize you never say a word against drinking, smoking, cursing, gambling, illicit sex?" He said, "You have never said a word against any of that." And I said, "Well, I didn't realize it." No, he says, "You don't." But he said, "You know what?" He said, "You brought me out of all of that. How? By teaching the word." That's all it takes. You get people into the Word and you don't have to get on them because of their drinking. You get them into the Word and you don't have to get on their case about their immorality. The Word takes care of it, see? And I think this is where so many people have, have gone astray. We're trying to somehow legislate all this. We're trying to bring people in on a guilt trip. And, yeah, they got to be found guilty, but by realizing what the Word says and this is exactly what Paul is after see and so continuing on so he says all glory in my informed is that the power of Christ may rest upon me he wasn't looking for some gimmick to get people's attention he wasn't looking for some Madison Avenue approach to get the masses to come and hear him but whatever he preached in all of its simplicity people were convicted and as he said when he wrote to the Thessalonians in fact turn back to me i like to have you see these with your own eyes I think I've used it before on the program but I'm sure there's a lot of people don't remember that but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9 and this is what he experienced everywhere he went simply because he preached Christ crucified, buried, and risen from the dead. That's the power of the gospel. And even though we can't understand it, God, in His own inimitable way, will bring people to a knowledge of the truth. All right, look what He says in First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. And remember, these Thessalonians were just as pagan as any of the rest of them. Oh, let's go up to verse 8. Verse 8 and then verse 9 where it says what I want you to specially see. But verse 8, For from you, he says, sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, those are the two states of Greece, remember, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. You know what was happening? As soon as Paul saw these people converted out of paganism, what did they do? They shared it wherever they went. They couldn't shut those people's mouths. All right, read on. Verse 9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, that is the Thessalonian believers, and how you turned to God from idols, see that, to serve the true and living God. And amazing. Here he could come into a pagan city with all of its pagan statues and their gods and their goddesses and all of their attendant immorality. And he would preach how that God came in the flesh and went to that cross and was raised from the dead. And they believed it. Wonder of wonders, but they believed it. And so consequently, he had so many converts that they accused him of doing what to the Roman world? Turning it upside down. Like one pastor I had years ago said, well, it's just the other way around. They turned it right side up. But whatever. There was such an impact from this one man's preaching the gospel that the world in general said, that man is turning the empire upside down. And we know he did. All right. Now, I'll come back again, if you will, to Second Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 12, we looked at it in our program a couple times ago. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds, for what is it wherein you were inferior to other assemblies, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you. Now this has to go back a few programs. You remember when he was asking for offerings? This was the one church that he really did not come out and put, any pressure to give, but he tried to kind of intimidate them by showing them that all those poor people up in the mountains had already made collections for the poor saints in Jerusalem, and these Corinthians, many of whom were probably quite wealthy, he hadn't even asked for a dime, see? And this is what he's coming back to. And so he said, I haven't even laid the burden on you like I did all the other assemblies. And he says, forgive me, this wrong. <laughs> That's a kind of a different way of approaching it, isn't it? He said, it was really my fault. I should have made you aware that you should give of your material wealth. Now, verse 14, Behold, the third time, he says, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours. He's still coming back. He says, I'm not asking for your money. I don't want your wealth, but you. In other words, what did he want? He wanted believers sold out to Christ. Now, I dare say that every one of us, myself included, could put ourselves, if I'm not mistaken, it was Dwight L. Moody who had such a tremendous ministry, as you all know. And if I'm not mistaken, early in his ministry, he had heard of another great man of God who, at the beginning of his ministry, had said that he wished he could be a man totally sold out to God. But on his deathbed, he had to admit, he said, I didn't attain And Moody had heard that, and he was rehearsing with someone as he began in his ministry, and he said, I want to be that man that can be sold out to God. But at the end of his ministry and upon his demise, what did even Dwight L. Moody have to admit? Neither have I. And you see, it is almost totally impossible, it seems, for a man to be totally, completely sold out to God. But you see, this is what God is looking for. Now, He won't demand it. He won't force us. But oh, how God is looking for men and women and boys and girls who can literally be sold out to God. I think Paul probably did. You want to remember that he left all of his material wealth behind him. Counted it but dumb in order to take the gospel. And uh, as I've been reading another biography of the man, uh, I like it because he agreed with me. You know, I've said all the while I've been teaching that I was sure (laughs) that Paul had a wife and family because he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And in order to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you had to have family. You had to know how to deal with family problems. And so as a result of this tremendous being sold out to Christ. He probably lost his wife. She probably turned against him because he'd been a high man in the Judaistic religion, remember, and probably even a son. There's a a slight hint that there might have been such a thing. But whatever. He turned his back on everything in order to take the gospel to these pagan, ungodly, immoral Gentiles. All right? Coming on down again to verse 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved. Sound familiar? Oh, doesn't it ever. Oh, does it ever. The more he loved those Corinthians, the more they turned against him and said, well, we're not going to listen to that man. We're going to listen to Peter. After all, Peter was with Christ. Paul never was. Now, I showed this verse several months ago and I had a couple calls on it from people who said they never knew this verse was in their Bible. And uh, it might be appropriate to look at it again. Come back to Timothy. 2 Timothy, chapter 1. And you know this must have been a heartache for the man. After all the sufferings, all the beatings, and all the imprisonments, the shipwrecks, to simply take the gospel to people who had never heard, saw them established in it, saw churches established, not large ones. Now, you know, too often today we think of churches of several hundred or several thousand people with great, big, beautiful buildings. That was not the church of the scriptural days. They were just small assemblies meeting in homes. All right, but look what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, dropping down to verse 15. What a stab in the heart. This thou knowest, Paul writes to Timothy, that all they who are in Asia... Now, remember Asia. I've put a caricature of a map up here. And the Asia, of course, is primarily what today is Turkey. And uh, the Galatians is that area in between the two broader marks. But Asia was basically what today we call Turkey. And he says, This thou knowest, that all they who are in Asia be turned away from me. Isn't that something? What had happened? Well, I think, it wasn't that they pitched Christianity overboard, but I think they turned their back on the apostles' teachings of pure grace and went back under so much of the legalistic teachings and influence of Peter, James, and John and the Jewish community, as we're going to see when we get into the book of Galatians. And so, what a heartache. That all these little churches that he had suffered for and had spent so much time with and had been encouraged, that they were growing in grace and knowledge. And yet, as he now writes from prison in Rome, just before he's martyred, he has to make a statement like this, that all those in Asia are turned away from me. They had rejected him. And uh, to what extent? Uh, I don't know, but the scripture is true. They had not remained true to the apostle who had brought them out of their paganism. All right, let's go on back to Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse sixteen. Now then, but be it so, even though the more I love you, the less you love me, he says. But be it so, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with gall. In other words, Paul says I did use some some strategy and I caught you in places where you were failing me. Verse 17, Did I make a gain of you by any of them whom I sent unto you? In other words, when these men came through, did I tell them to squeeze every dollar out of you they could? No. But he said, I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walk we not in the same spirit. Walk we not in the same spirit. In other words, Titus didn't... Beg for money any more than Paul did. Thank you for joining
0: us again for Through the Bible with Les Feldic. If you'd like to order audio tapes, videos, or any of our printed material, you may do so by writing Les Feldic Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kinta, Oklahoma 74552. That's Les Feldic Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kinta, Oklahoma 74552. Or you can call us toll free if you'd like at 1 1- That's 1-800-369-7856 Remember, this is a faith ministry and your participation with us is greatly appreciated. Again, our address is Les Feldic Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. And our phone is 1-800-369-7856. Thanks again for listening. And please join us next time for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?